This is Tony Speaks, and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co-creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Disciplined. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors. Follow us on our journey. This week on Becoming Disciplined, we speak to Dr. Elia Powers. Dr. Powers teaches mass communication research, media literacy, media and politics, news editing, sports writing, and the multimedia reporting capstone course at Towson University. As a journalist for more than 15 years, he has covered higher education, health, business, sports, media, and the arts for publications such as the Los Angeles Times, Inside Higher Education, and Media Shift. His research interests are audience engagement and the impact of journalism, youth civic engagement, and news media literacy, and media and disabilities. His research has been published in peer-reviewed journals such as Journalism Studies, Digital Journalism, Newspaper Research Journal, Journal of Broadcasting and Electronic Media, and the Journal of Media Business Studies. He graduated with a PhD in Journalism Studies in May 2014 from the University of Maryland's Philip Merrill College of Journalism, where he was named the top graduate student in the 2013-2014 school year. He earned a master's degree in American Cultural Studies from Washington University in St. Louis and a bachelor's degree in journalism from Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism. And on top of that, Dr. Powers is a very gracious person to talk to. We were glad to have him on the podcast. Please check him out. So today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview Dr. Elia Powers. Dr. Powers, we just want to welcome you to Becoming Disciplined. For our listeners, this is a different type of interview. We normally look at a context of an interviewee, and then we examine their strengths and weaknesses and look at... uh, the broader issue of discipline, but today we want to look at the particular uh, subject of discipline as it relates to a particular field and a field that is under much scrutiny nowadays, a field or an occupation that I tried for a little over a year, the field of journalism. Now, Dr. Powers, what type of discipline is necessary to thrive in the field of journalism? Sure. And yeah, thanks, Tony, for having me on. It's good to see you. Um, yeah, so um, was, um, I love this first question. I've never actually had somebody ask me that in exactly this way. So it got me thinking about it. Um, there's, I would say, a couple of things. You know, one is just the discipline to become a subject matter expert. And so, you know, one of the things about journalism that I tell my students is, you know, you have to be a good communicator, a good writer, um, but also you have to just be curious and, and really get to know a subject. Um, that's one of the great things about journalism, but also one of the sort of harder things is being disciplined if you're covering politics or local city council meetings to just sort of become an expert enough so that you're fluent in understanding what people are talking about. So that's one area of discipline. Um, another has to do more with just being disciplined as far as, you know, if you're on a daily or, or these days hourly <laughs> deadline, just being disciplined enough to to, you know, just put stuff out and hit deadlines and just be able to like be okay with, you know, giving it your best and not being a perfectionist because in this field, a lot of it's just sort of, you know, um, doing your best, um, you know, writing the first draft of history, as we like to say, and then sort of moving on and to fight your next battle. So there's a lot of discipline in just being able to 
organize your thoughts and communicate those out to the public. Um, it's hard to do on a daily basis. So, but those are two things that stand out to me. I mean, there's more that we could talk about, but those, those stand out. Now, uh, it was startling to me the difference between writing for the web and writing for uh, a printed tactile uh, version. It was startling to me the difference. Was, was that startling to you way back when, when you first started, or, or was that just me, 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 me being Tony? <laughs> you, so you actually have a, probably a better, so, you know, I have, I do freelancing now and I do a podcast, um, but I have not, I, you know, I have not, I have not been a full-time journalist on the web as you were, <laughs> you know, in the last couple of years. Um, so when I was reporting, yeah, the, you know, most of my work was still on sort of a daily deadline, kind of more of a print schedule. Toward the end of my sort of full-time career, we were starting to move toward, you know, trying to get stuff out immediately when it happened. And yeah, I mean, the, like the main difference that I noticed is just, one, you can be a little more informal online. You can deliver the information in different ways. It doesn't have to all be in a long narrative story. People are, love live blogs and sort of shorter thoughts and videos and different ways to communicate. So yeah, it's kind of a whole new language and it's exciting. Um, but it also, again, back to my previous comment, um, just it's, 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 uh, <laughs> it adds more on the journalist plate. They have more things they have to think about now rather than just putting together one story at the end of a day and then calling it a day. It's, it's, it's kind of constant. Um, you know, constant barrage. So it's good and bad at the same time. Awesome, awesome. Now, um, just so people can understand your context, uh, Dr. Powers, did you always dream of being a journalist? I mean, yeah, it depends how you divide always. I mean, going back to like, you know, when I was a kid, I, I had uh, my, you know, I, I had, I ran a family newspaper, you know, where I would like interview people in my family. Um, so, you know, pretty early. I mean, I was, I was, uh, <laughs> I was pretty, infatuated with the idea of, uh, you know, telling people stories from a pretty young age. Um, and yeah, you know, I editor of the high school paper, did journalism in college, you know, I was pretty focused on that. I never like, really strongly considered uh, another profession. Okay. Now, who was your, uh, who was an early hero of yours in the journalistic field? Oh, that's a good question. I was definitely really into Sports Illustrated. Um, and so they had, Gary Smith was a writer that I really liked. Um, you know, I really liked like columnists and magazine writers, um, people who like, you know, and mostly I was really into sports early on, like a lot of people, <laughs> you know, are. And so, yeah, just anyone who is writing about sports, telling really interesting stories, you know, um, those are people that I really, and then, you know, later on, I obviously started paying more attention to politics. And so a lot of the people that were writing for like the Post and, you know, um, were Washington Post were certainly people that I looked up to. That's cool. You know, it's amazing. You said that I, I uh, my big hero, you know, my big people I've listened to as a kid was, um, I used to read as a kid was Michael Wilbone and Tony Kornheiser mm -hmm. when they used yep. to go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like a call and response that they used to have back in the day because Wilbone was such a Michael Jordan fan and Kornheiser yeah. was, a, was a little, was a little bit of a critic. Yeah. Uh, and then people don't realize, I mean, they got their start at the right. I mean, now people just know them as ESPN talking heads, but you know, they put in their, they put in, speaking of discipline, actually, they put in years and years and years, you know, as, you know, print reporters covering college basketball, NFL. So I always tell students, you know, I teach sports writing. One of the things I tell them is like, it may seem like the easiest way into the field, but the best way is just put up a YouTube channel and like start to opine. But like they put in their, their years, they put in their 
their their you know they like paid their dues in newspaper journalism before they became famous rich you know right, TV right. talking heads and so that's another discipline I guess that you could talk about. Now I remember uh, that the greatest moment that I had was a story that I actually withheld, but because I withheld the story, um, it's it's hard to explain, but it led to a public policy correction. But my presence there led to a public policy correction. And if I hadn't been there, something negative would have occurred. Uh, can you share your proudest moment as a journalist where your presence made a difference? And it wasn't, you know, this wasn't a breaking news story. Uh, one individual who had who had been incarcerated and who then went on to sort of help other people who had been in his shoes to sort of, you know, find work. One of the hard things, you know, um, is finding a full steady work after you've been in that situation. Um, and so, you know, that's one of those cases where I felt like, you know, I was shining a spotlight on something that, that mattered and people cared about. It. And it was just, I liked the fact that I could make people more aware of this issue. Um, so that was something that was meaningful. You know, another example, um, a different job I was covering actually like higher education before I went into teaching. Um, and I did a story about how in the classroom, very much based on personal experiences that I have had, um, a lot of times I had felt, you know, I wasn't always comfortable speaking up in class and I felt like sometimes people who are teaching classes, you know, were penalizing students who, for whatever reason, you know, were either more shy or, you know, were afraid of public speaking. And so, you know, again, raising awareness of an issue like that, I, I just like, I like, you know, one of my favorite types of stories are types that um, bring up an issue that people probably like kind of think about, but it's not maybe on the top of their, their mind. And so, but in both of those cases, I can't say like policy change wasn't that direct. But I can certainly say that there was ju judging by you know readership and comments and other things that you know people started thinking and talking more about uh, some of these issues in public policy or in education that I thought were I'm glad I put on the agenda. Now, what made you move from journalism to teaching? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, partly, what I was saying before, I was never you know just knowing myself, I I, I was never um, a huge fan of the, just the pace of, of journalism, just how quickly. I had to turn around stories. I was not the fastest writer. Uh, it wasn't great online. The just velocity, which you had to sort of churn out content. You know, um, I started to just want a little bit of a break from that. And I really had enjoyed, um, you know, I enjoy writing and now I'm podcasting, but I kind of enjoy doing that more now that I can kind of set my own schedule and, you know, freelance when I'm interested in something, I can cover it and not be on sort of that daily grind. Um, and I really enjoyed, I taught during a summer at a program and I just really enjoyed editing and working with student, young students on improving the writing and the creativity in that. Um, and yeah, so that's initially what brought me to that. And then eventually, you know, got a little bit more into like research and some of the stuff you do as a college professor. But yeah, I just enjoyed mentorship. I enjoyed, I've always enjoyed, you know, like even when I was in college or high school, my friends would occasionally say, hey, can you look at this essay for me? You know, you're, you, you know, you're good at grammar, right? Can you, you know, <laughs> so that kind of got me interested in it. And um, yeah, I just like the, I like, you know, working with, you know, with the students and, you know, in the days where we can be in person, <laughs> you know, over a year ago, you know, just like the interaction of being on a college campus. It's a nice, that's a nice way to spend your time. Awesome. Awesome. Now, uh, what I'm, what I'm learning with studying this specific uh, topic of discipline is that um, one of the keys to discipline is actually developing habits. And then once you have a habit, then the habit doesn't even feel like discipline. It's just something that you do. Um, do you or can you recommend two or three habits for journalists that they can develop that will make them better journalists on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say, again, kind of following the same structure as I was saying before, I mean, number one would definitely just be 
read like first thing when you get up depending on what you're asked to do that day read a bunch of people that you like not necessarily you know just from one outlet but if you can you know across different perspectives different you know national international just read up on something that you're interested in um, i mean really a lot of i think being asking good questions especially is just being well informed and so if you go into interviews really well informed on the topic as much as you can being well informed on the person you're talking to i mean you you can be great at asking questions but if you haven't done your homework on who the person is and what they've done and you know then it's going to be obvious to the other person that you're not quite you know like you didn't <laughs> take advantage of everything you could um so that's one half just prepare be interested read a lot um, or listen to stuff just you know like do like if I, you know it, like if i'm doing a podcast interview i make sure that i've paid attention to you know anything the person's written anything the person has um you know done on a similar show like i did an interview last week with a book author and i had to just go back and listen to interviews to see okay how did he answer this question? Can I even refer to that? And can I like ask him a follow-up question? So that's definitely something. Um, and then as far as like producing it, I mean, a lot of it is just about um, being clear about outlining what you want to say and trying to keep it, keep in mind that um, your goal is to not only be creative, make the person care about whatever you're writing about, but also do it in a way that is, you know, these days, especially straightforward and uh, enough that you're going to keep the reader's attention. You have so much out there now that it's really important to, um, and this is something I have to work on a lot, is to, you know, keep it short or it, or if you're going to make someone stay with you for a certain amount of time, make sure there is a strong, like, narrative hook or really strong kind of, you know, interest that you're drawing out, you know, out of the person. So just keep in mind that people don't have a lot of time and you need to really, like, make them want to care about whoever you're writing about. That's sort of the, you know, the two things I would mention. Awesome, awesome. Now, uh one of the areas I struggled with, uh, because of course, sometimes people, uh, they get real, it's weird. If you're, if you're, if you're recording them with a pen and a paper, they're calm and comfortable. Right. But if you're recording them with an electronic device, they get edgy. So a lot of times I would have to record with a pencil and paper just to make them comfortable. And, uh, my question is, uh, do you have any tips regarding really good note taking? It's actually interesting. I, one of the great things, I mean, mostly I would say, you know, COVID and being away from people is bad as far as like, you know, because you don't develop rapport. But I will say the one thing that is easier about it is like you were all so used to now just being on Zoom and being on video conferencing and just recording and just, I mean, I, I'm not paying any attention right now to the fact that you're recording this, right? Whereas right. if you're in person <laughs> holding it, you, know, you have to sort of hold that or, you know, it's just more of a, it's an awkward, more of an awkward exchange. So I guess, so, I mean, so I guess all that is to say that I think actually being on being on Zoom is actually, uh, you know, a way to get around that. But as far as in person, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I was always taught that, like, especially if you're if you're, you know, interviewing an athlete or a, a, a you know, city council, you know, the mayor, that person is probably going to be pretty used to like press conferences and being recorded. But if it's just someone you're going up to on the street or you know, somebody who has never talked to the press before and you're in person. Yeah, I mean, usually I tell my students, try to just talk for a little bit, have some, you know, sort of um, just throw out some kind of questions that, you know, or you're not going to use, but you just want to ask them about stuff, just to start the conversation. And then once you're kind of ready, like once they've said the first thing that like you want to really use, then you just say, oh, you know, actually, do you mind if I just pull out my, you know, my, um, you know, my notebook and just start taking notes? I want to just make sure that I accurately quote you. I don't want to get anything wrong. 
um, you know, and, and you know, I'm going to take notes and record what you're saying just so I can play it back later. You know, so if we try to do it as naturally as possible, I feel like it's less. It's, yeah, but if you walk up like with a recorder and your notepad, it's gonna yeah, you like you might put them off in the same way that if you were trying to like you know <laughs> pick someone up at a bar, you wouldn't want to like immediately buy them a drink. You know, you want to sort of just start talking to them and then you know once you're in conversation you know, whatever, (laughs) if that analogy works, but that's, you know, you want to sort of play it cool at first and then almost have them not notice that you're, that you're taking notes. Mm. Okay. Okay. Now, um, and, and I'm going to give my context to kind of help understand so that people listening can understand where I'm coming from. One of the things that I did, I, looking back, I feel like I failed at as a reporter for that one year is I didn't always manage relationships well. And what I mean by that is, uh, I was, you know, in in order to be a good local reporter, you have to have a relationship with, as an example, law enforcement. And uh, sometimes I felt like I was in in my effort to get comfortable with law enforcement and get the tips and get the um, get the scoops. I felt like I was almost becoming a propaganda uh, tool for for law enforcement. And uh, and I kind of felt like I was uh, going down that path and and I didn't know. And it was hard for me to manage, okay, if I write a critical story, then I lose this relationship and I need the relationship for scoops. So I, I had, and and now in my defense, I've been paying attention in the Richmond area lately and I'm not the only reporter who who, who blurs this line, you know? So so I've noticed other, other people who are way more seasoned than I blur this line. And I felt like I didn't manage in particular my relationship with law enforcement well how uh an an emotional discipline is 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 a discipline emotional intelligence is a discipline so uh as someone with uh with a great deal of experience uh can you give us any advice for young reporters listening how do you get close without getting too close and how do you how do you set up good boundaries with those type of relationships yeah that's a question that tells me for sure that you will really invested in what you were doing because you know that's like i think people i think who are not who've never done journalism i don't think really fully understand that um, especially if you're covering a beat or a, a city like you know or an area like you were that a lot of it has to do with like you know if you're a sports writer or a politics writer you know a lot of the conversations you have are either off the record which means you don't use it or on background which means you know like you can use it but you can't attribute it like there's all these different ways that you can sort of get information, but not use it, you know, because as a reporter, as you've learned, I'm sure, you know, you want to be approachable and you want people to go, they can talk to you without sort of feeling like you're going to burn that. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a basically a matter of, I think, figuring out, you know, how to make it clear to the person that you're covering that, you know, I mean, you are, this is a professional relationship. Um, but, you know, that, you know, that like, you, I, you know, like, you know, I want to be someone that you could talk to. So feel free, just establish Really, I mean, to me, it's sort of established what before you have any conversation. Like, what is what are the ground rules here? Are you going to tell me stuff and I'm not going to use it? Are you going to tell me stuff and I can't use it on the record? If you're telling me something and it's so damning or so important for people to know about that, I'm willing to sort of say, well, you know, like what you just said, I, I really need to use your name because, or you know, I need to report something because if I don't, I'm just not going to be serving the people in my audience. Um, you know, that that's sort of what it's about. It's just establishing trust and establishing the ground rules so there's no misunderstandings um but yeah it's hard i mean i think like all the time especially if you're i mean you know again, go back to sports if you're covering a team i mean you see probably 80 percent of what you see in here you never write about probably because you know 
if you lose access, that's a huge problem. If a coach doesn't get to talk to you, you know, you know, like you see this all the time with like, you know, Kevin Durant and, you know, other players. Once you've lost the person you're covering, it's hard to do your job. And so that's one of the things that you have to balance. And, you know, I can't say, I mean, I, I generally cover sort of general assignment stuff. So I didn't have a lot of experience on one beat where I was so, I was so, you know, like I needed one person so much that I could not burn bridges no matter what. But that can be a big issue when you're, you know, covering a smaller community where, you know, <laughs> You have to come back to police the same people over and over again. So yeah, that's a great question <laughs> that you brought up. It's a hard one. Right, right. Yeah, what I did was I would tell them, um, hey, listen, we're cool, but one day I'm gonna write something that's gonna make you very angry and I'm just asking yeah. for you to remember all the positive <laughs> stories. But yeah, uh yeah. I was sure. I was just concerned sure. about that first uh negative story and I never got to it. Mm-hmm. Uh as a journalist, you're privy to information that the general public might not uh, be focused on or aware of. So uh, how have you resisted the inclination to judge your audience for their blissful ignorance? Because I, I kind of, uh, I was guilty a, a little bit of that where you just kind of get frustrated like, hey, are, y- are, y'all, are y'all listening? Are y'all paying attention? Do you, you know, do you see this happening? And um, and I, you know, I had to kind of remind myself that I, it was my full-time job to focus on the information, and these folks have other jobs. So, but at the time, I did get a little judgy sometimes. So, so have you ever struggled with that? Yeah, sometimes, and I think you're right. I mean, like, I think when you're covering it every day, you know, and you're and you're just someone who's like a junkie, you forget that most people, you know, they check in on news every once in a while, you know, um, but they don't necessarily know who everyone is, and you're. Yeah, you get so immersed in it that it's difficult. Um, it's, I, I never actually, so I don't know if I had the, that exact feeling that you did where I felt like people were like, why aren't you paying attention? But I, well, I will say, I did sometimes, you know, I mean, when I, I was able to sort of get some idea of like what stories I would write um, would get the most attention, would get the most comment, you know, whatever metrics I had about like how many engagements, you know, is this having? And I would say I would get frustrated sometimes, like the most popular story I ever covered when I was writing about like colleges was a story about how a school was getting rid of their dining trays because it was, you know, they, it was like, they were afraid of people piling in food in the dining room, like, you know, just hoarding stuff. And, not, and so, and I, you know, that was like a throwaway story. It was like, you know, I spent two hours on it. It was like, a whatever, you know, <laughs> not a meaningful story. And, but it like blew up. It, it, it like got onto like, you know, I don't know, you know, like when, when someone picks up your story, that's like a national outlet and it goes. So that, that was one of those cases where I was like, huh, okay. So like, People sometimes just, they don't want serious stories all the time. They sometimes just want quick, fun stories that they can, you know, they can share. And so, you know, those kind of times are waking up calls a little bit that like, okay, like, I'm not just serving one purpose, which is just to like inform and hold, you know, powerful, you know, hold um, the account powerful and do this, you know, kind of what we talk about is our mission. But some of what we do is just like come up, you know, write things that are fun stories that people want because they want, you know, to... <laughs> they want to like just have you know just share things that are like kind of kind of quirky stories and so but yeah sometimes i did feel like all right i wish my more serious stories one that i spent more time on would get a bigger audience because that's the stuff that i think is most meaningful but sometimes your audience disagrees with you <laughs> or wants the quick stuff you know yeah i was surprised by the stuff that would go semi-viral and yeah. the stuff that people would it, it was amazing to me mm-hmm. um now, how do you, as a seasoned journalist, how do you sift through bad information, or I guess the new term is fake news? Mm-hmm. Any tips for our audience on discerning when a story is bullcrap? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
yeah, that's a huge question. I mean, you know, obviously on social media, I mean, this, you know, I mean, this may seem kind of antiquated now, but I mean, checking into the source, cross-checking, first of all, seeing who it's, who it's by. I mean, you know, there's, you know, like the blue check mark on Twitter. There's what there's things that social media sites do that are at a surface level. I mean, that, but you know, you can see, I mean, if somebody is not providing their source, if you don't know who the person is, if you look into them and they don't, you know, actually have any authority on a topic. Um, but I always tell my students just cross-reference. It doesn't take that much time to Google to double check to, to see who else is covering something. Um, are they naming the sources? You know, kind of just figure out, are they an authority on it? Do they have any motivation to send you in the wrong direction? Um, and can you cross-verify that multiple sources are reporting something? Um, and, you know, and do that before you're retweeting it, before you're amplifying it, so that you check to see if it's, you know, true or at least unverified. Um, and just resist, you know, you know, seeing stuff that agrees with whatever your kind of worldview is and just sharing it because it feels good to, you know, own the other side or to sort of make a point, but just make sure that you're not part of the problem. Do your research first about who the person is, what their motivations might be. Now, we're living in a time where a lot of news media, where they have opinion kind of mixed in with the facts. So you have like Rachel Maddow and then you have the MSNBC News Hour. You have, uh, you, well, Fox, you have just about everything. Mm. And then the, the straight news um, on CNN, you have Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo. And then you have uh, uh, the straight news. Uh, my question is, do you think a media company nowadays could survive economically if it just focused on the facts? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I mean, I, I think certainly um, in like cable, um, you know, what we've seen over the last couple of years is that opinion and driving, you know, and, and the consistency of message and playing to your base was, you know, with, especially with Fox News and at MSNBC, you know, that certainly has been a good business model. And so I think cable, um, it is harder on cable. I mean, you know, C-SPAN <laughs> and to some extent CNN, you know, really do, I think, try to try over that model. And it's mixed results. I mean, I think, you know, um, places that have clear affiliations, clear views, in some cases, public relations being totally affiliated with, you know, uh, the uh, one party or the other, you know, that does play well on cable. Um, I mean, I, I can't sit here and say that, you know, just objective news and without opinion is the way to go because, I mean, ratings tell another story. Um, when it comes to, you know, to sort of, uh, you know, print and online and, and, and radio, you know, I think there is still a market for um, fairly straight. I mean, you know, some people, uh, you know, I, I, I disagree with people who say like NPR or, the Washington Post has a huge liberal bent. I don't, I don't see that. But again, you know, I mean, that, that's just my feeling. Um, I think they're fairly straight, straight. Um, but so I think there is a market for straight reporting without, you know, sort of a, a clear affiliation or a strong, you know, heavy opinion. Um, but you know, you know, for commercial out news outlets, you know, opinion plays well. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So I think there's room for both. Um, and you know, if you're looking at if your main <laughs> business model is basically getting to have your, getting your content on social media. Like if you're a place where really you just want to distribute it, you know, people share things on social media that are more opinion based. That's sort of just like, it's not, you know, that's just a fact at this point. And so, you know, if that's your model, right, then, you know, being more opinionated makes a, a big difference. But, you know, if your model is to get a small audience of people, um, you know, who want to read good quality content online and you want to get subscribers, you know, I think you can have, there are enough publications out there that do pretty much, straight reporting that, you know, prove that that's still a model that works. 
Um, so really both work and it depends on the medium and sort of who your audience is. Do you think there's a future market for media organizations being not-for-profit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so yeah, for-profits, um, you know, a lot of, especially newspapers have lost a lot of uh, revenue. They've lost a lot of, uh, you know, they just had to cut papers and going out of business. Um, and yeah, so I do think nonprofit um, is a model. I don't think like, you know, what we've learned is that not enough nonprofits, I mean, so the nonprofits that are here, they usually employ a handful of journalists at the most, sometimes it's just like one or two people. And so they're not making up for the losses that the sort of, you know, so if a newspaper leaves a city and a nonprofit comes in, it's like the newspaper had 40 people and the nonprofit might have seven or eight. And so it's certainly better than nothing. And I think, I do think nonprofit is a model that works well, you know, and allows you to cover something in depth. Like you know, there are publications that are just focused on um, the criminal justice system or focused on politics or focused on, you know, I mean, there's very specific audiences. Um, and so for those niche audiences, it works well, but it's still, it can be hard to get a big audience, sort of broad um, general public in your nonprofit because, you know, it's just, there's not enough revenue oftentimes to hire enough people to cover that. So I think it's one of the answers, but I don't think that the answer is for like everyone to be nonprofit because I think that doesn't allow maybe for enough um, reach. Sure. Now for a young person who uh, they're not ready to declare a major and they're just uh, curious about the, the or, or even someone who's been in another field and they're exploring becoming a freelance reporter, do you have any book recommendations that you'd like to share with us? Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Well, there's an old, <laughs> there's a really, just as far as like any writing tips, I always assign my students, there's a book called On Writing Well, which is like a pretty like classic book about just like sentence structure, you know, how to be inquisitive, like that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I would certainly recommend reading, um, oh God, I don't know, I'm afraid of the names, I, but I, I, you know, any book about like a, a journalist, like, you know, reporters, not necessarily like Watergate side, but just like, journalism these days, sort of what it's like. Um, so either bio, either autobiographies or, you know, any sort of, uh, you know, any, any sort of, um, you know, just books about modern day journalism. Um, I don't know if there's not like one or two books that I would recommend necessarily, but it just anything about what the field is like and what it's like from first person account from people who are in the industry. Yeah, those I'd certainly recommend. Awesome, awesome. Now, Dr. Powers, you have a new podcast. Can you tell us about it and what inspired it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's called Areas of Agreement. Um, and the podcast is, uh, it's right now I have four episodes out. I'm hoping to get maybe about double that. Um, it's a limited series. So just kind of, you know, I think one, one long season. Um, basically, it's looking at the urban rural divide in the U.S., um, which is one of the major divides, you know, in addition to sort of liberal conservative and, you know, and, um, you know, and so one of the things that I'm looking at, I'm taking part in a program um, that basically brings together people across these divides. Uh, I'm on a team that focuses on media issues. And so, um, you know, as I was going through this program from Urban Rural Action, which is the group that, that's sort of organizing this, I thought this would be a really interesting, you know, experience to document for people, right? To sort of see what it's like going through this um, as I'm sort of learning about it, as I'm talking with people in my, on my team who are across the country who have different perspectives. Um, and there's groups looking at things like race and education, um, food insecurity, things that impact all people. So basically every episode looks at a different issue. Um, so, you know, it, uh, the most recent episode focused on education and equity funding in Pennsylvania about how 
schools in, in poorer communities get a lot less funding than, than in more wealthy communities. Um, another episode looked at how do you have constructive conversations across difference? So how do you talk to each other? You know, if you just want to have dialogue with your uncle who doesn't agree with you, how do you do that? <laughs> um, and I'll be looking at um, you know, local news deserts, uh, places again, like, you know, like where you live that, you know, that, that are without really a lot of daily journalism. Um, and so, yeah, so that's basically what it's about. Um, you know, it's more of a narrative. It, it's not, it, you know, it's different than sort of a and a podcast. It's more, you know, uh, so I do a bunch of interviews and I, uh, I'm the host. and I basically kind of walk you through and, and tell the story uh, with sound bites from different people. So yeah, it's been really an interesting experience. I've learned, I've learned a lot about doing journalism, you know, not you know, the urban rural divide through this. Okay. Now, on what platforms is that is that posted? Uh, so you can find it pretty much everywhere that you get podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, Anchor. Um, those are the kind of the, you know the main ones where you can find it. Spotify and Apple Podcasts are probably the main two. Okay. Now, and and I'm going to post it at the end of the podcast, but you never know uh, if someone might not make it there. So can you give us the name one more time? Sure. Areas of agreement. Areas of um, so areas, so the yeah areas of agreement. You know, just look. I mean, the <laughs> double entendre. They're like you know geographic areas, and what are the areas that we can actually agree on? What are the topics? I'm focusing on topics uh, that I think people across different perspectives can actually focus on and agree on, and you know, kind of do a project about rather than you know things that nobody can ever agree on. Because there are some pla- or there are some topics, believe it or not, that people who are who have widely different perspectives can still agree on it still exists i promise you absolutely absolutely yeah for our audience i'll, sh- I'll share this the the two podcasts that i saw of or that i heard of yours was just amazing i i, I strongly encourage our audience to check you out uh you. dr powers do you have any closing thoughts regarding the, the the subject of discipline or the subject of journalism what would you like to share with us as we close out and as you close out uh, you're gonna have the last word i just want to thank you for coming on and i thank you for sharing your your yeah. testimony and your uh, wisdom with us. Yeah, no, and I, and I appreciate being on. It's great to talk to you. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, for people who are, have never done journalism, I guess just, you know, I think it, I, I think um, one thing to just know is that a lot of, you know, people who go into journalism generally don't go into journalism for the money. They go to it because it's, you know, a passion and a calling and they really, like, they do want to make a difference. They don't, I, you know, I've never talked to somebody who goes in with, like, a certain, like, mind to like change persuade someone to change you know opinions or parties it really is mostly just people wanting to like you know like better inform people um and so yeah and that job takes a lot of discipline it takes again a lot of time it's a very it's, at times it could be a thankless job um and so yeah i mean i just would love for people who are listening that you know and watching that uh, you know are not have never done journalism to just you know keep in mind that um you know that this is such a really important field and a field that you know has had um struggles you know, had, had financial struggles and something that you know you know um, to the extent that you can support journalists in your community you know not to turn this into a psa but i do think like understand that journalism is super important and it takes discipline and it takes time to do it and it's worth saving um because you know you get a better informed population and people that are just more engaged connected when that when you have good journalism well thank you again dr powers and we yeah, really thank appreciate you. you all right for sure for sure I am a man of faith. In the religious texts that I read, and also in most major religions, unity and understanding are principles that are praised. We are living in divided times though. If you want to listen to a podcast, 
that heals some of our social and political wounds. Dr. Power's podcast, Areas of Agreement, is the podcast to listen to. Dr. Stephen Covey once said, before you can be understood, you must seek to understand. Regardless of your background, in the American experiment, if you listen to areas of agreement, you will understand your neighbor in a more profound fashion. Please, for the sake of the nation, check it out.